welcome to the ABI online radio show where you're about to hear from industry experts that will share their stories and advice on how you too can learn from their expertise and life's experiences. And now it's time for the next interview, so let's get on with the show. Hi everyone, it's Fred Gillen again, your host, and I have another expert with us for your entertainment today, and it's Toff Evans. Toff um, tells me that he's a resilient thought leader and limit pusher. Now, I'm not sure what all of that means, but it sounds very, very interesting. Um, he's also a big believer in pushing the boundaries, and he puts his body through extreme endurances, which he'll probably tell us about in this interview. So. Um, welcome to the show, Tuff. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. So uh, that, that was a, uh, you know, I read your, your, your bio and other stuff about you. And it really looks intriguing. You want to tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, what you did in the past, what you're doing now and why you're doing it? Absolutely. I'll give you, uh, I'll backtrack to parts of my past, which will um, hopefully give you enough context and give you... Um, some reasoning behind why I do things so it saves you going why the hell do you do that <laughs> so for me oh, I'll that question off yes absolutely so a few years ago I um, I was actually traveling and I managed to come across a bunch of setbacks just one after another and for me I it was everything from business to relationships to friendships to even part of family to just everything, and it, it came in all at once as a wave, and it just became too much for me. And for me, I didn't know how to handle it, and I ended up becoming heavily depressed and, and anxious all the time. And that's what the doctors were saying. I was seeing multiple doctors around the world because I was traveling, so I just happened to be traveling around the world too. And the doctors were saying, yes, you have both depression and anxiety. So from going from my own personal experience, this is what it's like having both. Um, anxiety is when you care about everything, and depressions when you don't care about anything. So when you've got those two working together, like a, it's like this dichotomy of this mental tug of war that's pushing you, pulling you either side, and you, you think you're right, but you don't think you're right. And it got to a point where I was coping with, and I'm, I'm actually going to get quite vulnerable in this podcast. Um, I don't mind opening up about this sort of stuff because a lot of people can relate to it. So I don't mind being as open about this stuff because I'm not ashamed of my past anymore, thankfully. Good. But for me, I went through like self-harm to cope with it. I went through prescribed medication, various doctors around the world. I went through... I never was ever on the stuff. I just... It seemed like a good outlet at the time. And then I went through hard drugs and alcohol to cope with it all. And it was getting to a stage where I was going through suicidal tendencies for like three quarters of a year. And that, that was a long time to be going through that much misery for anyone. And the thing was, I was never like the depressed kid at school or anything like that. I was always seasonally smiling. I was always a kid that was a bit of a social butterfly. But going after a few life experiences, it just became too much for me. And I I was like thinking about ending it all the time. And so I was getting to a stage where I came home early from traveling. And my first thought was, see the doctor again. And then, like, I'm not disparaging the whole situation with prescribed medication there are people that do need it because they may have like in hormonal imbalance and so being but for me my own personal experience because I didn't need to do to be on the stuff and it was just my outlet I was kind it was kind of messing with my head with the symptoms even though I was pretty messed up at the time I um I decided to stop it all 
And then I started researching why I wasn't happy. And it came down to uh, this one common trend, Fred. It was my, my health was so degraded, mentally, especially mentally, and but physically. But I, because I stopped looking after myself, I just let my head down. I was off the rails, to say the least. And it was like things as if I was on like a train track and the next thing I'm off-road in the trails in this train. <laughs> and that's, that's what it was like. I'm using that analogy there. But yep. also, metaphorically speaking, I was in like this uncontrollable car heading off for the edge of a cliff. So I didn't... Um, and that's how I was thinking too. And I'm thinking, this is not good. So I started researching why I wasn't happy and it was my health. And when I made that my number one priority, it put... Looking back at it now and like to seeing how far I've come... It's literally put everything into place. So, like, relationships where I wasn't strongest in have now, like, been so concrete that they're, they're quite strong. And then, like, I'm so grateful and appreciative of everything that's happened, especially in my past and the times I went through. And any losses I come across today, and especially the wins too, that I'm so appreciative of everything. And back then, when you're going through any sort of mental health struggles... It's like, for me, like, I was looking through everything through, like, a really dull gray lens. Like, everything was so dark, and it was, like, um, a completely different person, completely different. It was even hard to smile. It was weird. And then now, I look at everything with such vibrance, and I can see I have such a large spectrum of colors because the world is so great to me. So self-perception comes into play, and it was like a flick of a switch, really. I, um, so I, I thought I'd focus on my health. And I thought, as a guy, I thought right, health equals sport. And I'm like, I'll go for a jog while I think about it. And then the penny drops. Why don't I just take up running? <laughs> and uh, I'm already running now, already going for a jog while I think about it. It just makes sense to run. But the thing was, I was, I hated running at school. But I was at a point where I was so desperate to get out of this rabbit hole. I dug myself so deep that I needed something quickly. So running became an escapism for me. And I thought, I had this weird epiphany that, you know what, I should train for a marathon. This is, incre- is going to be incredibly scary. I remember when I signed up for it, I, uh, I looked up Gold Coast Marathons, and there is a, an event called the Gold Coast Marathon. And it's like one of the biggest in Australia. I think Melbourne and Sydney beat it in regards to attendance. But I thought, let's just do it. So I stick to the, the training, and like you, you, you purchase it. It's like a $120 race, and I thought, oh, I have to do it now because there's that feeling of loss aversion. If I don't do it, I'm going to feel guilty. I was like, I've just paid all this money to do it. And for me, I was like, okay, that's the end goal, 17 weeks away. And I looked up, and the typical marathon, your first ever marathon, they say it takes about 16 weeks. So I said, perfect. I can get let the first week in to ease up, and then I'll, I can do the marathon. And then you work backwards from there. So that, that's something I've learned to do, reverse engineer things. And it's also why I'm so purpose-driven these days because I know my end goal in life that I'm able to work backwards. But going back to the marathon, I did it. And then from there, I, I was the fittest and ha- healthiest and happiest I'd ever been in a long time. And so I got my friend to join me because I, we, I don't do all this endurance stuff together. I do this with one of my best friends who I've known for about 10, 12 years now. And for us, we, we wanted to get, we both took it to get fit and I was doing it mainly to get mentally fit. But there was also the added challenge of pushing ourselves. So we did about six to eight events in 2015. And then it came to 2016 and we thought, why don't we do what we're doing, one a month, but let's dedicate it to a cause greater than ourselves, mainly because we don't need the money. And surely 
we're going to get some exposure if we do 13 events in one year. Oh. So that's what we did. We're like, let's do it. And we thought, who are we going to do it for? And it turns out like we have a correlation with cancer, uh, cancer because we've lost family to cancer. And it turns out everyone gets affected by cancer. We didn't know this at the time. We only did it because it affected us in a way, but it turns out it affects everyone because it doesn't matter if like, you could have family with cancer or you might not have any family with cancer, but you could be really close friends with a family that does. And it, it ties it together. So it turns out like the more people would find out about what we're doing, the more they want to support us, and then the more we would meet more friends. And that actually started growing my self-confidence back because we're, as humans, we're wired neurobiologically for connection and story. So we're actually, made, we're actually social creatures, believe it or not. Daniel Lieberman, he's a... Matt, sorry, Matthew Lieberman. He's a uh, university professor, I think at Stanford. Don't quote me on this. But he has a book called Social, and he talks about how humans are wired for connection. We really are. Like, we're quite tribal, especially, like, going back to our ancestral period where if you were to ever get ostracized from the, from the tribe, you would be so heartbroken because we are built to be together. And then when you get thrown out of the tribe, you've got lions and tigers after you, and you don't want to get eaten. And that's why today we've actually kept that same thinking. So that's why today if you were to be um, betrayed by your friends and family, you have the same feeling as if you were going to get chased by a lion or tiger, when really it may have not been their fault, it may have been their fault, whatever the reason is, we still keep that thinking in mind. So as a species, we've actually progressed so much. Like the fact that we're able to have this conversation over the phone um, even though we're not in the same room, is, is astounding compared to, like, whereas 1969, like, the, the technology we have now is more advanced than the technology they put the man on the moon back in 69. And how it's, really, it's quite hard to quantify how much we've changed as a species and advanced. However, our thinking, our brain power and mind power has not changed by, has only changed by a slight fraction. Like, it's, it's, we've gone from one extreme of mal, malnutrition to obesity because back then the hunter-gatherers would have been like, Whoever was the team leader or whoever was the speaker goes, all right, guys, we're gonna, we've got all this food here. Eat what you can, drink what you can, because there's a good chance we might not be eating for a while, so seize the moment. Nowadays, we still keep that thinking in mind that, oh, I might not get to eat again, but we have so much accessibility to shops now. I have, like, four shops near my house. So it's, it's crazy to think that. So for me to be around... Going back to, not to shy away from what I was talking about before, but when my mate and I were more introduced to the running community, it made me happier and my friend happier because we're around like-minded people. Ironically, a lot of people are running from their demons in the running community, but we're, all, we're quite resilient people now because we've used our adversity to drive us. And that's like I always, use, I always reflect on my past in a race, not to delve on the, the mistakes I've made, but I always think... Was the depression harder than this 100-miler? Of course. So it, I'm going to pass it with flying colors. Whether I get injured or not is a different story. But my mindset is in the right mindset. So there's that paradigm shift. And it got to a stage where last year we had 13 events planned and it turned into 40. Literally, we tripled it and we, we raised, I think, just on, just over 20 grand. So we got our fundraising done. So 40 marathons in the 12 months. No, they weren't just marathons, man. They were everything from marathons to 100-kilometer ultramarathons to triathlons to even a 24-hour treadmill challenge and everything in one year. And we, I, we must have ran about 3,000 kilometers each and for, for people with cancer. And it's kind of crazy how far we've come. Like, 
people would say, you boys should do this event. And we would say, F it, let's do it. Every time. We literally said yes to so much stuff that it's rewired with both, for both of us. But for me, like how I came from someone who was struggling mentally, mentally inept, if you want to call it, has become mentally adept because fear is my best friend because I've rewired my neural pathways so fear is my best mate. So when I come across something tough, it's fear versus trust. Any psychologist will tell you that. It's fear versus trust. And what happens is I've trusted the process because I've been telling this narrative over my head, in, in my, sorry, in my head that I've got this man. And so when I was in the Himalayas and Everest this year, doing some climbing and running down Mount Everest, <laughs> which is crazy, um, we had to do these crevasse crossings over these crevasse cro- ladder crossings over crevasses. So for those listening who don't know what a crevasse is, it's like an open crack called, caused from an avalanche. And they're yeah. one of the main killers of climbers. Once you fall in, it's a bit hard to get out. And when I was doing these ladder crossings, like picture like quite a distance away. I would say a good like 10, 15 meters away. Um, that's how open the crevasse was. That They've got ladders and they're like two Bunnings ladders stacked on each other and a bit of steel rope. To, so you can hold the tension there for your, for your teammates. And I got there and I was like, I got this, dude. Like that was my first thought because I've done enough. I've rewired my brain to say yes and to do fearful things to do something scary every day that I'm not I'm, I'm, as if I'm like almost bulletproof and like that's how I felt when I crossed these crevasses I thought nothing can kill me now I, I'm not the, I don't think I'm bulletproof like I'm going to run in front of a car and survive that no that's that's borderline stupidity um, <laughs> like but being able to handle fearful moments like if I need to ask a girl out on a date I'm not going to freak out if I need to if I need to close a business deal I'm not going to freak out if I need to do anything if I need to run 100k in one day for whatever reason, I've got this in the bag. If I come across, and now more importantly, if I come across any crisis in life, a death in the family, um, anything from a bad car crash, if I lose a limb, I know I've got this in the bag because I've rewired my neural pathways. So fast forward to like this year. So my mate and I did 40 events last year. We did 10 events this year. So everything... And we're doing it for youth because youth resonates with us. We're still quite youthful. We're only 25. Oh, I'll be 26 in December, and he's already 26, my mate. So we're still very young. And like, youth are, gonna, are our future leaders and uh, innovators of the world and creators too. So it's best to invest time into the youth because they're the ones that are going to be leading the country soon and advocating certain things. And dipl- from like, I'm a diplomat. I, like, I represent Australia for certain things. Um, so it's good to invest time in that. And we didn't know what youth we wanted to dedicate the 10 events to. We've called it the Big Ten. Instead of focusing on quantity, we focus on quality. And it gives us time to rest. So one event a month, we thought we'd leave the first two events off because we could rest the body. And they're extreme. So everything from running around a 400-meter track for 24 hours to being locked in it. That was for a family that lost their dad. So we thought we'd dedicate it to the family. And then the next event was 48 hours locked in an altitude chamber and the university was studying us while we would train 12 hours per day. So that was kind of cool. But because we're like glassed out and people can see us and we're literally like chimpanzees in a testing lab because they're testing us every for everything, our psychology, our physiology, how our bodies adapt before and after high altitude because it's a simulation chamber where they... What they do is they add nitrogen into the room and it kind of depletes the oxygen. So that's what it feels like being at high altitude, less oxygen. And that went to youth mental health because that's the kind of event that makes you lose your mind. 
So stuff like that. And then we recently did um, a 12-hour swim, stuff like that, crazy stuff, running down Mount Everest. And for me, like, I'm able, like, I'm so grateful for all the shit I went through three, oh, sorry for swearing, all the stuff I went through three years ago, four years ago, oh, it was three years ago, sorry, that it's, it shaped me who I am today. And to have a transformation that quick, it's been, that is my biggest accomplishment in life. It's not any of the accolades. It's not any of the endurance events I've done. It's uh, all the adversity I've overcome. And knowing that if I come across a crisis in life, it's, um, I know I've got this in the bag. And that gives me goosebumps saying that because I say that with such strong conviction. And I know it because I do stuff in the everyday setting to, to, get, to tap those sections of the brain where people didn't think were ever imaginable. And the thing is, like, we're all human beings. And, like, for me, like, I looked up to a guy like Michael Phelps. I still do. And you see this guy. He's won 23 gold medals. And he, he is so laser-focused in the zone. And I've always thought, I want that growing up. And I, I am starting to get that quite, quite well now. But he went through heavy depression after his fourth Olympics. And even same for Ian Thorpe. And I'm thinking, how are these guys that who were superhuman able to go through such emotions? Why? Because they're human beings. We all go through this stuff. So, like, that's quite, for me, like, to get out of adversity, to realize that we're all in this together, that was an absolute paradigm shift. That, that got me in the right mindset. Because every great story, whether you're Phelps or Michael Jordan or Oprah or everyone from, like, Mandela, um, even Mother Teresa, have gone through some trajectory of pain. So you need that. And it's like, it's like at the time, it's the worst enduring thing to ever endure. That, but we realize we're all in this together, and the only, there are certain ways to control. You can harness those thoughts to really drive you. So for me, I'm, to put me in the right mindset and to be incredibly, I've been incredibly um, just thankful for all the stuff I went through. Like, that's what I was saying before. Like, I look at everything. Do you know what the switch was? Like, you know, like, obviously you're, you know, very heavily focused now and switched on and proactive and all of that, you know, in in the positive zone. But do Mm. you know what the switch was or what the catalyst was that actually, you know, got you out of that depression and then you suddenly just went, yeah, well, I need to, I need to change. Like, do you know what that was or what, what the trigger was? Um, yeah, I... It was, I was sick of being sick of, I was sick, sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. That's what it was. And for me, I wanted to do something about it. So that's, that's why I did research. The fact that when you're heavily anxious, you, it's hard to think because your mind is so cluttered. And mm. you, your mind is so cluttered. So it's actually hard to think. It's hard to sleep. I was the opposite. Like all I wanted to do was sleep because I would rather be conscious than awake. So I'd sleep ridiculous hours each day. I woke up incredibly tired because I'm overtired, but I just didn't want to... I felt like I didn't want to live anymore and I'd rather be knocked out. And, yeah, so that was my my shift. That was probably the paradigm shift for me. I came to realize that when I step back and notice, like, an amputee, for example, I realized that they have it much worse than me. And for me, like, what really, really makes it come around full circle is gratitude. So that's the reason why... I'm heavily altruistic and all about charity giving because when you practice enough gratitude, it changes your definition of reality in like the fastest way possible. So you realize that it teaches you about empathy. You realize that I come, I go, okay, I actually don't have it that bad. I've got mates that have no arms that I've ran 100K with. And I'm thinking, 
He literally can't do 95% of the things I can do. And he used to, but he lost his arms in a, in a horrific accident. And I, I think my day isn't that bad anymore. So stuff like that and as well, like, I always say, like, you don't know, if you, when you practice enough gratitude, you don't know whose life you'll save. It might even be your own. And that's what happened with me. Like, I, it saved me from taking my own life. And I, I say that so outwardly and overtly um, because I have the humility to say so because I know what it's like to hit rock bottom and I know what it feels like to be in the stratosphere, which I'm in the stratosphere, right? But that's what it feels like. And if I ever come across a setback, I know what to do. I don't have to rely on any meds or anything like that. I've got the mental artillery to hold me back because I know how important. Using my formula of practical resilience, I use my own study as a case study just then, like adversity times mindset times gratitude. It's a multiplier because when it's, when it's working in once, it really, you get an exponential effect. That, that's why I said when I come across any crisis now, I know I've got this in the bag. And it's like the other day. Like, this isn't really that much of a big deal. But, you know, when you, so many things just don't happen for you that day and then it feels like a bad day, like, I didn't have it like that because I don't ever want to feel like I've had a bad day. You cannot go backwards in time. Stephen Hawking tried to prove this, that when you realize today is the youngest day you'll ever be and then... You, we don't know when we're going to die. That's an invariable constant that you have to use your time wisely. So to think that you've had a bad day, it feels like you've wasted it. It's okay to have bad moments, I guess. But um, using an everyday setting that people would come across, like last two weeks ago, I had a business deal that didn't go well. I had a an event that for next year that didn't end up happening. It looks like it's getting pushed back, so that's okay. And two phone calls that I was really waiting to, like really anticipating to hear from that got they got cancelled on me. So it's like people would find that a terrible day. But for me, I was like, Get I don't call them failures. Yeah, I don't call them failures. I call them like, it's really experiments that didn't go to plan. So it teaches you about feedback. So like, I always use, if we're going to use experiments, I always use the science analogy of every great physicist, whether you're Einstein that discovered energy mass equivalence, or also known as equals MC squared, or if you're Hebb, um, who discovered Hebb's law, or if you're Nikola Tesla that discovered, like, electromagnetic conduct therapy, any of those guys, I'm a bit of a science nerd. <laughs> so, um, but when, when, when they discovered, when they found their discoveries, they didn't found it in one hit. Or you can be an inventor like Edison or any of those guys. Like, they didn't find it in one, one go. So when they were just conducting the experiments and putting their hypothesis, what they believed, they would test it. And whatever didn't work, they put to the side... And that's what I look at failure like, like feedback from experiments that didn't go to plan. So for me, that pitch didn't work when I did the, the, the business deal. So I've got to pitch a different way or I've got to pitch a little bit differently. And it's a good split test kind of thing. So this stuff's awesome for that. And the fact that I'm able to do some keynote speaking and teach this to other people, and I'm actually writing a book myself too, like Stacey is. Hers is a little bit different to mine. Um, but hers, I love her story. And I was so, I'm so fortunate enough to actually be a part of it too that at the end of the day as, as oxymoronic as it sounds adversity is a good thing I, I think I'll just touch on that part but yeah hopefully it's that answers your question anyway, um, just talking about your because we you know we're running um, close on time but um, just on your business side of what, what you're doing you mentioned that you're writing a book and you're doing keynote speaking um, what else are you doing like um, to get your message out and to earn an income because that's, that's one of the topics that we'd like to probably cover in a little bit today, but maybe, you know, in more detail later. Yeah, sure. So um, I've got two models. I've got the non-for-profit model, which is all the endurance stuff I do with my friend, 
because we're known as the Wounded Pelicans, we, that's entirely non-for-profit. So we're not a registered brand. We're really a conduit for other brands to use us to raise awareness um, and, and donations. So we were looking at turning ourselves into a charity, but it's a bit too much work right now. We're going to be biting off more than we can chew because we're doing all these crazy events at the same time that it's going to feel too much like work. What we're doing doesn't feel like work, even though we're running 24 hours at a time. It's fun because, to me, the crazy stuff keeps me sane, and we love the challenge. So that stuff is 100% goes to the cause every time. But the, the for-profit stuff with my company is mainly keynote speaking, and I am about to launch a book in March. But, and it's also going to be tied in with mental health, where 10% of the book sales go to a mental health program. Because I'm an advocate on mental health, and I want it to go. I want it to be a bit of a game changer. Where if people that purchase this resilience bible or this practical resilience bible, that they are also contributing to one of the biggest problems in the world right now, which is the stigma behind mental health. The fact that, um, especially for us guys, it's it, it proves that why women live longer than men because um, we have so much testosterone. Um, we have like sometimes we have the shield of macho that we think someone like. There's a lot of parents out there that tell their kids, don't cry. Um, and you kind of, when you suck do that, up, you actually, put, yeah, suck it up, get on with it. But in my opinion, if you're going to hold back that much emotion, you're actually suppressing a lot of stuff and you're gonna, it's going to bottle up and implode. And I know what it's like to do both and relapse and all that. that you're not a human being. You're not 100% a human being anymore because you're not expressing 100% emotion. And there's been, because there was so much, stigma around how guys shouldn't be going through certain emotions and that but in my opinion vulnerability is courage because you open up and it's it's less of a burden anymore you've got that i always use the analogy of like if you had a bottle of water that weighs about 300 grams if you were to hold onto that bottle for 24 hours it would weigh about three ton or 300 kilograms it still weighs 300 grams that's the profound thing and the thing is people do that with their thoughts and so when the mind can only hold so much, like it's a, an attic, meaning, ironically, it's like in the head, at the top of the head, at the top of the body, and an attic is at the top of the house. But you can only put so much in the attic. So if you're going to lock it up with irrelevant and, like, like things that are going to destroy you intrinsically, that, that 300 kilograms is going to magnify into 600 in no time and so on and so forth. And then what happens is we implode. That's why it's okay to talk about this stuff. And, like, I always say to my, some of my closest mates, or, like, I say it to anyone, actually, and especially the guys that are incredibly masculine. I say, if you, I'm like, hey, bro, if you ever need anyone to talk to, I'm your dude, because sometimes you might get disparaged and people might call you a faggot or a pussy or whatever. That it's, it's incredibly, like, as a guy, it's quite, quite threatening. And you're like, oh, fuck, I don't want to be known as that. So for me, I don't care because I know what it's like to open up and I've got mates that... I've had grown-ass dudes twice my size open up to me and afterwards, like, I'm so glad I did that. I was like, yeah, because you've just... It's, now, you've invest, now you've got room in your brain and your mind to invest into bigger and better things because you've just let go of the feeling that... So I'll tell you what, I, actually, I, I think I might come, come up with this, but I, I had a bit of like a typo in my voice and I was like, you know, I could use that. So everyone is so fixated on the past that no one's fixated on the path. And the thing is, you cannot go back in time. And whatever's happened in the past has happened in the past. But you can, to me, I'm so obsessed with resilience because I'm so, I've got so much adoration for the comeback. I love comeback stories. So that's, and I've had my own comeback story to speak on behalf of mine. But 
when people focus on the past, it's like, that's okay, but your comeback story is going to be so much better. So a good friend of mine, she was meant to do a race with me, but she's, she's quite injured now. She fell down the stairs, unfortunately. She says, I'm so upset. I'm trying not to beat myself up. She said, I will get, when I get back up, I'm going to sign up for a race. I said, that's perfect. Like, don't beat yourself up. Don't. But when you come back and train and do that race a second time, you will be so much more happier for it because you will manage to overcome any obstacles along the way. So that's, I think, for me, yeah, I, I'm saying, I say advice. I'm a... Re- what was that, sorry? It's good practical advice. Yep. Yeah, it's practical. So I, I teach practical resilience. And for me, I'm a resilience thought leader because it's hard to stump me on resilience now. Like, I'm, I'm a guy that's had the lived experience and I work with psychologists too and I work with these experts in the field. Like, they're the good analytical kind of people that know the science and that behind but I'm the person is the practitioner that does things in the everyday setting so I'm um, for me it's it's been quite an obsession for me but it's it's part of like who I want to be remembered for so it's easier to be it makes it easier for that drive and easier to wake up in the morning and that's why I'm so purpose driven so hopefully that answers a lot of what you're talking about yeah question. no it does um, so if, if some of the listeners want to actually make contact with you and, you know, book you as a speaker or get you to help out their charity or whatever it might be, what's the best yep. way for them to do that? Okay, no worries. So my, my website is the best way to get in touch with me for any speaking. So it's tof-evans.com, so T-O-F-E-E-V-A-N-S.com. So that also has, like, my uh, highlight reel. It's got some of the events I've done in the past. Um, stuff in the future. Um, one of the things in the future, I should mention this, you might be interested in this one, Fred. My mate and I, were going to be the only two Australians representing Australia um, for a 214-mile race across Scotland. So there's about 200 people doing this run across Scotland. And it's a registered race, and it's single stage, meaning that you start and you finish. There's no certain stage races, like the desert ones, where you run maybe 80K that day and then you sleep. And then, like, it's, like, it's quite scheduled. For this one, it's not scheduled. You can sleep whenever you want. You just got to get to the finish line before the, but the 96 hours. So that stuff is on the, on the site. Like, that's just that's the fun stuff we get to do. Um, but I'm also all over social media on, like, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Medium, LinkedIn, um, tof.evans, so T-O-F-E dot E-V-A-N-S, and that's where I'm easily accessible. I'm, I'm quite active on social media. So it's actually quite easy to get a hold of me. Okay, no, that sounds sounds great. It's uh, it's like it certainly opened my eyes a little bit, um, you know, with resilience, and I I can certainly take away a lot from what you've been talking about. Um, the, the have you got any runs coming up in the immediate future? Yeah. So um, for this year, um, are we talking this year or next year? Um, well, when, when's the next one, or is it Scotland that's, that's due next? No, we've probably got about four or five events before that one. Um, <laughs> we've, we've always got something in the, in the works, because for me, I know if I don't have anything planned, then I get complacent. Like, it's okay, to, it's important to recover and rest, but for me, if I have nothing in the works, then I've got nothing to train for. So I always have something in the works, and that one is going to be a fun one. Like, I'm going to really get my ass in the gear for, um, to make sure I'm prepared for that. But right now... When I mentioned that we're doing 10 extreme events this year, we're currently through number nine, and number nine is the entire month. So it's like it's Advent running. So November one is one kilometer, November two is two kilometers, November three is three, so on and so forth until November 30, you've got to do 30K. So you've got to back it up every day. 
and each day gets longer and longer. So it's Project 465, and so we run 465 kilometres in one day, uh, one, sorry, one day, one month, and it's for wheelchair-bound kids. So for me, like, if I'm ever having, like, a bit of a rough day or whatever, I just go for a run because it's, it's, it's so emancipating, it's so liberating. I can just, that I can clear my mind, and it's my escapism, and it's cheap therapy. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, like, it's, when you've got endorphins and you've got sweat pumping, it's like it's naturally good for the human body. And for me, that, that's such a blessing to have. If I just need to, if I've got something in my mind or if I, if I actually just want to go for a run with mates, it, it's an awesome feeling to just do that, to be around like-minded people. And there are people at, like wheelchair-bound kids who they may have been born with a defect or they may have just been through a gnarly car crash that... Their only dream, one of their biggest dreams in life is to be able to stand and walk. So this one's dedicated to them. And this project's kind of cool. So we're only into day three. Um, this is where we get to see the fun begin. Because I know my mate and I will be sweet. It's, I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. And it's not going to be easy. It, of course, it's going to be challenging. But we know we'll be fine because we know the mental game quite well. But we've got the whole community behind us. We've got mates in Scotland. We've got mates in England. We've got mates around America doing the stuff with us. So every day... They're in part of the Project 465 Facebook group. Anyone can join. That's the thing. And they run whatever day it is, is how many kilometers they've got to run. And they, we've got mates trying to do their own versions of 465. And then they upload their, the time they did from their GPS watch or they put up the photo. So it's a cool collaboration with the community. And that's what we're pretty known for because we're pretty, I guess, community-driven, community-building. Yep. So, so it's, it's important. Important. So what was the Facebook page again? Because obviously people, like you're obviously looking for sponsors and support, donations, etc. So, and is that done through the Facebook page? Yeah, so that one is done through Project 465. So 465 meaning 465 kilometres. But we're always looking at, my mate and I, we're always big on collaboration because we, that way we can all grow together. We're not, we're not in it to compete with other people. We just collaborate with people because they get to be part of the journey and it's, it's always a great feeling when people can... Because we have weaknesses. We Like every normal person, we have flaws in certain things, like certain planning and logistics. That's why we, sometimes we have teams to join us because they, want, they might... Um, for us, all we want to do is just do the running and the training and that, that a team might jump on board and be like, hey, boys, we'll pay for your flights if we can come to... If we fly to Everest, whatever, um, how can you help us? And it's like, well, we'll give you as many dedicated 30-second videos while we're up there. <laughs> and, uh, okay, yeah. cool, that works. And if like Scotland, um, we still got to find a flight sponsor for that. But if people want to jump on board, it's just, it's a cool project because we're just, to us, we're just these two kids that want to push the limits for other people. My mate, um, we come from different backgrounds. Like, we've known each other for about a good decade. But I came in because to fix myself mentally, hence why I'm an advocate on mental health. He came into it because he loves the challenge and he just loves pushing himself. I do too, but I, um, my, main, my main catalyst and conduit for doing this stuff is to fix me mentally, which it has, and I'm able to teach other people because someone who's been through hell and back um, knows both sides of the story. So, so project, project, going back to your question, Project 465, that's the name of it. We have um, about 100... It's only been up for three days, so we have about 190 members across, like, like everywhere from, like I said, from Scotland to America to, to obviously Australia and, and the UK that are doing this with us. So it's, it's awesome. And people love being a part of movements because when we, we have mates that put up photos and videos and they love being a part, 
they remember it too. It's easier for them to yeah, spread no. the word because they're literally a part of it. So we've hit them kinesthetically and emotionally. Um, not like from a tactical point of view. It's just we love people being a part of the journey because we can't do that. Like to get where we are, we wouldn't have been able to do this without our, like our following. And they've become like a family to us and we don't look at anyone any different. Like the fact that people want to, You've got people that are quite overweight that want to join us with this, and that's that's to know that you you've hit them kinesthetically that they want to do something about their weight, and they, they decided to go through us. It's such a beautiful feeling, and it's like okay, we're actually making an impact. And so we started small, and then it starts to we build like a crescendo, <laughs> like a domino effect that's getting bigger and bigger. And so we we always trying to get the whole community involved in what we do. But hopefully what that we'll do your question. The end, and no, and you have done that. Um, at the end, well, probably now we'll actually um, post a link to the, the various sites as well, so we can hopefully get you some more social and media exposure, and you know, get get some more action on the site. Um, yeah, it's really so a, a great interview. I think it's a, it's opened my eyes, as I said earlier, uh, about the you know the, the health, mental health issues and what needs to happen, and how we can assist others get to where you are today. So um, I really appreciate you coming on the call, Todd. Yeah, thank you for the call, mate. I appreciate that. No problem. And um, we'll get you on again and we'll talk about, you know, some of the other stuff you're doing as well. Yeah, thank you so much. Cheers. Just a quick reminder that if you are an expert in your field and you want to share your knowledge, then simply go to our website radio.abi.com.au and register your interest. You can also listen to more experts share their stories and expertise at the same address. That radio.abi.com.au. Look forward to seeing you there. Take care and have a fantastic day.